if somebody's pursuing weight loss with a single-minded focus and living their entire life around this project, it's actually going to make them less happy. And sometimes being unhappy is further compounding their problematic eating behaviors. Life can be so much more than weight loss. It doesn't mean you have to quit on weight loss, but you can actually have a better life in so many more ways. And the funny part is that it can help you reach the goals that you've been unsuccessful at meeting when you're just focused on shrinking yourself. Hey, you're on air with Ella, where we talk motivation, mindset, personal development, basically everything you need to get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and I am so pleased to be welcoming back two-time guests, now three, Georgie Fear. Hey, Georgie, how are you? Hey, Ella. I'm so glad we get to hang out again. We did episode 53 and 58. Okay. 53 and 58. That was in 2015, Georgie. I will make sure to link back to those, but wow, that was five years and 17 lifetimes ago. Agree? Yeah. I think (laughs) it was pretty funny to chat about how much has changed in five years. Can you tell everybody who hasn't met you yet who you are, Georgie? Totally. My name is Georgie Fear. I'm a registered dietitian and I grew up in the States, but now I live in Canada, the great white North, but I work with people all over the globe doing internet virtual nutrition counseling. And it's great. With a name like Georgie Fear, you had to be a public persona. It had to happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame I didn't finish my PhD because then I would have been Dr. Fear. (laughs) Come on. You and I had a conversation, we had two conversations back in the day, because you wrote a book called Lean Habits. And honestly, it was a very, very good book. And it met me where I was at the time. When you reached out to me and you were like, I have written another book, I was like, "Eh, that's great, but I'm not really where I was five years ago. And I didn't say that to you, but I was like, send it my way. Let me check it out because I enjoy your writing very much. And I was not thinking that we would be aligned. And then you go and you send me this book called Give Yourself More. What was life like for you? What was your mentality and what was your mission in 2015 versus today, Georgie? In 2015, I was doing the same sort of job that I'm doing now. When I was a registered dietitian, I was doing nutrition counseling. And the problems that I was focused on solving at that point were really to help people lose weight without doing all of the diet things that made them mentally uncomfortable and physically uncomfortable. And really, it was with the goal of solving the temporary problem of weight loss. Like how can people just lose weight and just keep it off because they've adopted behaviors? So that is the problem that I worked on solving with Lean Habits by providing step-by-step behavior changes that people could adopt without feeling like they were losing their minds or living their life around weight loss so they could succeed and move on to other things. So a few things have changed for you. And you wrote this book and the very first, the introduction basically says running on less and why weight loss doesn't work. And you really like, you sort of kick things off by talking about how many women pursue weight loss with happiness as the end goal. And that basically in in essence, that treating weight loss as the embodiment of self-improvement is is a really losing proposition. Expand on that for me. It totally is. I mean, weight loss can be a to improve some aspects of our lives. It can make us physically healthier. It can make us more athletically capable. You know, it can do some things. But when we think of that as the be-all and end-all of self-improvement, 
to where most people, most females, if you ask them what they'd like to change about themselves, I'd bet many of them, if not all of them, well, not all of them, but more than half, I'd say, are going to say something about their weight or appearance because it's almost like the first go-to that people think of when they think of self-improvement. You know, my own progression between, say, 2015 and 2020 has been, and like other professionals, we want to help people have better lives. We want to help them be happier. But if they succeed at weight loss, that doesn't necessarily make people happy. And sometimes if somebody's pursuing weight loss with a single-minded focus and living their entire life around this project, it's actually going to make them less happy. And sometimes being unhappy is further compounding their problematic eating behaviors. So I guess give yourself more was my way of helping people see that life can be so much more than weight loss. It doesn't mean you have to quit on weight loss. But you can actually have a better life and enjoy your own presence in so many more ways. And the funny part is that it can help you reach the goals that you've been struggling and unsuccessful at meeting when you're just focused on shrinking yourself or cutting things out of your life or your diet. I actually think this is tricky territory and I'm not scared of it. Like, I think it's absolutely fascinating that it is controversial to say that weight stigma is wrong and also it's okay to want to pursue physical health. I know. I'm happy to enter the controversy because I can't believe that it is one. <laughs> I, um, it's kind of shocking to me that people who can be so um, open-minded in terms of widening the standards of beauty to include people of color and people who have scarring and freckles and larger features and smaller features and different body shapes, how people can be so open to that. But at the same time, if somebody wants to gain 10 pounds and celebrate it, they're slapping them on the back and saying, you rock, you, you're awesome woman. But if somebody says, I want to lose 10 pounds, my doctor says I could come off blood pressure medication. They're like, sell out, you diet industry sell out. You cannot possibly want to change yourself that way. It's okay if you change, but only in these directions. I just think that's such a double standard. I think it's every woman's right if she wants to cut her hair short or grow it long or help her body become stronger. You know, if we're just talking within the realm of health, if somebody wants to be bigger or smaller, like let people do what they want to do. Don't shame anybody. I was just having this conversation with Tilly. In fact, we shared a lot of these sentiments in episode 214. And, and she and I were basically talking about how, I mean, we honestly thought our self-worth was directly related to our physical appearance like for many decades oh totally count me in the club <laughs> would you would you count your, okay tell me a little bit about that before we before we pursue that tell me in what way did your life embody that your physical self was your self-worth oh my god all the ways Ella it's like <laughs> there wasn't anything spared it was like I didn't know anything about myself I didn't really think much about who I was or any impression that I made on the world other than like, how did my face look? How did my hair look? Is my belly looking flat? Do I have cellulite? Like these were the aspects of myself that consumed me. And I felt like, you know, flaws, I would list aesthetic flaws. And if you asked me for positive things about me, I would list aesthetic things that were positive about me. It's almost like I ceased to exist within my skin. It was only the, the outer part that other people saw. And I heard the, the episode with Tilly is fantastic. And she's just, oh, she's so charming and bright. And I loved so many of the things she said. And she hits on the fact that sometimes we're just existing for other people. And we only know ourselves in terms of like the relation that we have with other people. Like how do other people respond to me? That's how I know I'm doing okay. Like if other people like me, I must be doing a good job. Thumbs up. But that kind of leaves us baseless when it comes to self-esteem, like, do we cease to know who we are if we're 
off by ourselves for a weekend and we have nobody to tell us we're great. It, it really makes a person more resilient and I think it decreases stress and anxiety to feel that rock solid stability of like, I know who I am. I know what I want to do. And if I live in that way, I'm okay. And then you don't feel like your self-esteem is fragile because you're more resilient. Yeah. And I want, I, I'm really passionate about creating a space where we can talk about things like, wow, our self-worth is not directly proportional to our gene size. Like, sure, <laughs> totally. Like, I'm, I'm very, very interested in creating a space where we can say that, where we can say, you know, God, we're here for so much more than how we look. Like, we are capable of so much more. We were programmed for so much more. We have so much more to say than that and a space where we can still care about our physical manifestation as well as our mental and emotional. Like I'm here for all of it and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the important difference is that, you know, your appearance is one aspect of yourself, but if it falls in line with all of these other pieces of yourself, I don't think that's pathological. I mean, I think it's great to feel like, oh yeah, my hair looks rocking today. Or, hey, you know, I can speak three languages. That makes me awesome. Like, that's a good skill to have. Or I'm a great mom. Or I take good care of my dog. Like, you know, thinking about all of the pieces of us in perspective and in proportion, I think is a healthy self-concept. And it's more resilient, as I said, self-concept. But yeah, I think it's a healthy thing to feel like our personalities, our spiritual lives, our characters, our relationships, and our physical health are all things that we're happy with, that we're succeeding with. You know what, Georgie, another thing that I had to do and that you spoke to, you spoke in this voice in your book, was I had to pull apart. And I've already, I've already conflated these two terms in this conversation already, because it's something I obviously have not gotten on the other side of yet. But I have to pull apart fitness and health and physical health from appearance. And I really have done so much work there, like so, 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 so much work there. And part of it is you have to do that work when you start getting older and those two things right. are no longer <laughs> directly related. <laughs> and so life will pull that apart for you if you can't. But you hear I've already conflated those two terms and, and something that you were able to point out is what if we moved our bodies for how we want to feel instead of for how we want to look? Can we maybe chew on that for a minute? So true. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the outcomes of movement or exercise or working out or whatever word you want to stick on it. Oftentimes we're doing that just for a particular outcome. And like other forms of external rewards, if you use the end result as the lure, people lose out on the joy of the journey. You know, people forget that it can feel really good to go for a run or it can be really fun to play tag with your kids or that shooting hoops can be, you know, kind of a fun game or bring out your competitive streak. There's so many ways to move that are enjoyable and that leave you feeling more relaxed and lower stress hormones and even more energetic instead of drained and positive about the body that you inhibit and all of its great functions. You know, it can do so many good things, but the same action, like you could shoot the same hoops and the whole time be like, how many calories am I burning? Like, check the Fitbit. Let me make sure I burn at mm -hmm. least 200 or I'm not going back inside. And you can totally suck all of the fun away from it and miss out on the positives. I'd love to talk about this in really practical terms, just to share an example of what we mean, because this is work I am really doing, and I would love to encourage other people to do it. So one example is, I love the sport of triathlon. Now, right now, present day, 
there are no triathlons to sign up right. for, Georgie, but right. like in an ideal world, okay, <laughs> in an ideal world, I love the sport. I love to compete in it. Now I would get on my bike and if it wasn't 30 miles to 60 miles, then it didn't happen. It didn't even matter. And it was very intense. And it was like, you know, if I'm out for under an hour and a half, then I've done nothing. Okay. Just super, super intense all the time. Well, now I've moved and I live in a much more metropolitan area and I, I can't get on my bike and bike for 30 miles. Like I'll be dead in three. So like, it's just like, it's, I got to figure it out, but right now it's not happening. So I've just been jumping on my mountain bike and going for a ride like a kid. I yeah. don't wear some bike kit. I wear a helmet and some shorts and some tennis shoes. And I get on my bike and I, I just tool around the neighborhood. Like I am 12 years old and totally. I love it. And it makes me feel like a kid. And I don't, I don't have a Fitbit because I know me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would lead bad places. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I just do it for the sake of doing it. And it, channels my inner kid. Yeah, it is. There's so many wonderful things to enjoy about just playing. Well, and there's a flip side to this too. When we tie our movement or our nutrition to an outcome, a lot of times we don't get the outcome that we are seeking. Let's not even get started on where those expectations come from. That's a whole nother show. Right. But when you tie healthy behaviors to a specific outcome and you don't achieve that outcome, in your mind, you have failed. Now, what happens when we fail? We feel defeated. When we feel defeated, we don't do the thing anymore. So it's like, oh, sack it. You know, I ate one, ha one good, I ate a salad and I didn't lose seven pounds. So I'm right. done. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Like things that if the rewards don't seem to be coming and coming pronto, we're like, I'm out of here. This is not rewarding. This isn't fun. Exactly. And that is something that I found really compelling about your book. First of all, your book is called Give Yourself More. And I'm like, any concept that has the word more in it, I'm all like, I'm interested because I have spent so many years trying to give myself less, trying to do more, but give mm -hmm. myself less. That is a narrative I am absolutely turning on its head. And you tie, you know, kind of our past history, where we've explained that we've come from, and you tie that to real suffering. And you said something like, when our motivation to eat healthily or to exercise depends on the intensity with which we want to erase parts of our bodies, then what can we do but suffer? When our whole goal is erasure, there's no, there's suffering in the win and there's suffering in the failure. It is. It's like, uh, it starts with rejecting pieces of ourselves, maybe physical, maybe literal. And this, the quest to be slim and small is, so, there's so many layers to it that when Alicia, my co-author and I started really looking at them and maybe outlining them, it was like, holy cannoli, there's just more and more and more ways that you can look at what it is to grow up today as a female and the hundred ways every single day that we try not to inconvenience other people, that we try not to be intrusive or rude or loud, and how the standards that sometimes apply to women more than men are that if we are angry, it's less accepted by society, that we try and be emotionally small and also not needy. You know, so many women I know will say things to me in a coaching call like, yeah, I'm tired, but I'm not going to lay down because the kids want to play. And it's like, well, I'm not saying that you have to put yourself first above everyone else on the planet, but why don't you step up to the line with everybody else? Like, why don't we acknowledge your own needs are just as valid and as important rather than just defaulting to I don't get what I want, they get what they want.
Yeah, I don't know what this attraction to suffering is. It's like we think we get points for suffering. Totally, like the martyrdom of the modern woman. (laughs) But it's there's your next book. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Like there's there's so many ways in which we've gotten used to denying ourselves pleasure, either because it just got jettisoned in all of the responsibilities and things that we were trying to do more and take care of others, that we forget that having pleasure is an important need of a human being. And it also tends to backfire because if we just cut ourselves off from the things that we need, we tend to get resentful and we tend to just reactively take them later. So it's kind of like if you don't give your brain enough sleep, it's going to nod off at your desk. And if you don't give your soul enough joy and pleasure, it's going to do things like sneak off and eat cookies in the corner (laughs) because it sooner or later is going to take some pleasure, damn it. Where's mine? The reason that give yourself more makes people happy is because it helps people meet their needs better. And the interesting thing is that when your needs are met, a lot of maladaptive coping behaviors become relatively easier to set aside. And when that includes skipping workouts or emotional eating or binge eating to topics which I coach people on every day, it actually does produce the physical changes that women have been failing to achieve by trying to suffer into slimness or hate themselves into better shape. What I think you've done really beautifully is you've talked about the role of pleasure. And that is something that honestly, it almost doesn't sit well. I think that we have spent so little time asking what gives us pleasure, whether it's food or movement or sensual or joy or familial, like all of the different things. So how did that end up being such a key tenet of your book? I think some of it is that my profession, I'm not an author. I mean, I've written books, but my profession is a coach. And first and foremost, I work one-on-one with people. And that's what I love. Like that gets me up in the morning knowing that I'm going to have individual conversations with people and get to know them. And I'm going to get to know why they eat what they eat. And we're going to work to make that what will get them to the life they want. And so as I work with person after person, you start to see patterns and you start to see things that are in people's way. And that's why they've struggled. When somebody works to make a specific behavior change, for example, let's say they want to eat less chocolate. And if somebody's aware of the amount of chocolate that they're eating, we've kind of crossed the first step. And then we maybe set a goal for a new chocolate intake and they try and achieve that more moderate level instead of an excessive level. It's not a foregone conclusion that they can just do it. And it's not that they're foolish or that they lack willpower or anything. Oftentimes it's that there's something in the way and their mind is kicking and screaming No, that is where I'm getting all of the pleasure in my day and I'm undergoing so much responsibility and so much stress and so much coping, I'm unwilling to get by on less. So you need to give me more in some way for me to be able to thrive with a reduced chocolate intake. And so, so many women specifically, which is why we aimed this book specifically at women, they have these shortages of joy or of emotional expression, emotional freedom, emotional comforting. And so not only are women trying to be small physically, but they're also trying to be small emotionally, not getting enough pleasure, often not getting enough rest, not getting enough pleasurable movement and filling in all of these needs and getting them up to abundance. I've just seen them so many times completely change somebody's relationship with food and their body and just make them so much healthier and happier overall. Georgie, why would someone want to eat less chocolate? (laughs) Because if it fills you up too much and you can't get in the healthy foods, 
fine. Okay, I really can relate to that though in all seriousness when it comes to how my disordered relationship with my food and body manifested itself and that was through binge eating. And I mean, the listeners might be sick to death of hearing about this, but I- I'm not, I hear about it all day long and I, I love right? recovery like, stories. I, <laughs> I do too. I still find, I find it empowering to share them and to hear them. And because when you're in it, it feels so much bigger than you. And it feels like it is in charge and there's something wrong with you and it is bigger than you are. And I think every time we could remind people that whatever their addiction might be, because at the end of the day, that's really what it is with anything that feels like it's in control of you. It's very, very important to hear from people who were there. And what happened in my life was that was my behavior and behavior I was exhibiting for several years. And then it went dormant, which meant I thought it was gone for like 20 years, almost, wow. almost 20 years. And then it reared its head when I was in a very happy relationship, very happy, stable life. And all of a sudden it rears its head again. And the reason I'm telling this story, and this was just, you know, in the past five years, and I am at least 18 months past ever even having a binge worthy thought. Now that doesn't mean I don't emotionally eat. And I think it's important to draw a line between those two things. Sometimes I'm like, I am tired or I am sad or I am happy and I choose to eat this. Like that to me is not disordered behavior. That is something I do with intention and I give myself grace for that. But binge eating is a very, very different thing. And the reason I wanna talk about this with you is because I did not realize the role that pleasure and lack thereof played in my own experience here. And I, again, I was in a, I was in a happy place. Like I checked mm -hmm. all the boxes, but yeah. I wasn't spending any time asking myself what made me happy. Where do I get my fulfillment? Like where else can I experience pleasure? I guess it was sort of like me time because it's not sensual pleasure. Like I'm, that box is checked. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but it was something about not allowing myself to have some kind of need and therefore I was running to food to get it. Does that make any sense to you? It totally does. I think it's, it's closely tied in with needing to feel productive all the yes. time or yes. needing to feel like we're serving other people all the time. And I think it, it intertwines and dovetails really commonly with a need for achievement and so we feel like, well, it's, I'm not achieving enough if I'm resting on the couch or if I'm yes! doing something just because I want to. And I think uh, I've heard you say on another episode that it's almost like stage one can be defining ourselves and taking pride in our appearance only. And then we can even move to stage two where it's like, oh, I've switched that for athleticism. And mm -hmm. now I'm not so much eye candy, but I'm a set of biceps and like strong running legs and my 5k time is my my new equally fragile definition of myself. Yep. And both of them are really selling a human being short. There's so much more to a human being than those two things. I think going through really hard times and those dark moments, even if everybody else thinks everything's fine, but we're having those personal private storms, they can really be turning points and show us like, wow, there's, there's so much more for me out there that maybe I didn't even know was there. That's one thing that I really hope women get from this book is the knowledge that the more that I want them to give themselves may not even have crossed their minds in the past. What does it look like in your life when you think about giving yourself more? For me, it's definitely been downplaying the importance of my appearance 
in terms of my self-worth. Disconnecting the two. (laughs) Yeah, disconnecting the two. uh, A mantra that I say all the time to myself is, it's not my job to be beautiful. I got that from Renee N. Geln and her book, Beauty Sick, which was a real brain changer for me. And she talks about how the societal importance placed on beauty and she mentions thinness as well, but beauty as a whole really does a disservice to girls and women. It's a fantastic book. So I, I highly recommend Beauty Sick to anybody that to pick it up. After I read that book, I was like, that's so true. Like, it's not my job to be beautiful. I'm not an actress. I'm not a model. I am a nutrition professional. It's my job to know my field, to be empathetic, to be caring, to help people achieve results. And when I think in that way, it it just takes some of that pressure off and lets me be a human being and reminds myself, it's not even just about my professional career, but it's also like my job in my life is not just to be pretty and croak. Like, I want to do some other stuff. Like, I want to write books. I want to shape other people's lives. And I want to learn their ideas and hope that they learn my ideas. And I want to collaborate with people and do cool things and play in the mountains and do all this great stuff. And I'm I'm not going to sell myself short by going, ah, not pretty enough. That was a big change for me. I also have had to do a lot of changes in the realm of emotional work because, oh, honey, I was so stunted. So stunted. So stunted. Um, And that's why I had an eating disorder. And that's why I ate emotionally and I restricted food as a way to try and deal with my emotions, which were feeling really painful. As I kind of wanted to heal my nutrition habits, I learned that you can't get around emotions in dealing with food and nutrition, especially if you're dealing with disorders. I had to learn first to be able to identify my own emotional state and treat it like it mattered and recognize that I could do things about it, that it wasn't my fault, that if I felt sad or anxious or depressed or I wanted to be alone or I wanted company, that none of these were flaws, that they were just valid things that I could recognize and act on and that my life got so much better when I started to care for myself in these ways. Just like if you were a puppy or an African violet and somebody took good care of you, you'd thrive. And I think that's really what I felt in my own life. And it just was such a relief compared to flailing around and starving myself and compulsively exercising, which was harming my body in innumerable ways. It's been such an asset to me as a coach because I can explain step by step how I learned this because I was not born with it. I had to pick it all up along the way. Learning the emotional skills was really, really pivotal for me. And most recently, life is teaching me lessons about rest, that I can't just go for broke day after day after day, that I have to build in rest days and even rest weeks. I'm realizing that like I have to take downtime, that I can't push hard every day and that it helps me adapt better and become stronger. So that's what I'm working on. I think it's super, super important to separate giving yourself more from doing more. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times if we're seeking something to base our self-worth on or feel like we're good and we want to get away from appearance stuff, it's easy to be like, what have I done? What can I tally up as my accomplishments for the day? How productive can I be? And an endless focus on producing, producing and achieving can leave you drained Well, I appreciate what you and Alicia have done with this book so much. I think it's so interesting to share a point of view where 
you acknowledge that mental and emotional health are inseparable from physical health and we don't need to carve them all out and act like, you know, act like one or two don't exist. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you're still helping women and leading them toward a healthier version of themselves without telling them that they need to lose weight to meet some sort of ideal standard. And I think it's tricky. And I think we need more of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Like for some women, weight loss is something that they really feel like they want. And then for other women, they realize that this is not something they really want for themselves. It's kind of something that other people have told them they should do. And they realize like, maybe that's not where it's at for me. Maybe I just want to explore what life is like when I'm rested and adequately fed and active and happy. And maybe weight loss isn't going to add anything to that equation other than the joy I get from those processes. Georgie, thank you for this. And thank you for this great book that I can't wait to share with everybody. It's called Give Yourself More. And it's by Georgie Fear and Alicia Fetters. And I appreciate you so much. Thanks so much, Ella. It was really great that we got to connect. I'm super glad that our paths have kind of paralleled each other over the last five years. Yeah, here's to having more and not less, my friend. Let's be <laughs> even more in 2025. Georgie, take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Tell me what you think about this episode. Find me on Instagram at On Air with Ella. Would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your thoughts about today's show. And tell me what you want more of. All right? Thank you. See ya.